Welcome to the HPU Film Society podcast. Each week, students from High Point University meet to discuss movies. These screenings and discussions used to happen at Smith Library on campus. For reasons of global pandemic and social distancing, we are now having these discussions virtually. Enjoy. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to our um, April 16th meeting of Film Society, where we are talking about da, 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 Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, Noah, this was, uh, I remember you emphatically forcing us to watch this film. Um, mm -hmm. you, you, were, you were very uh, emotional about it, and I understand that. So uh, why, why did you want us to watch this movie? Well, I'm going to get some, I may cause some backlash here. Mm -hmm. I think this is probably the best movie he's made in the last decade and a half. Huh. Well, wait, that's going back to, what, 2005? Yeah, around, like, Kill Bill Volume 2-ish. Okay. Okay, what has he made since then? He's got uh, Inglorious Bastards, uh, yeah. Django. Hateful Eight. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah, he doesn't... He doesn't really. He doesn't do often. No, he's kind of like like Tarantino and Wes Anderson. They they sort of they they lay in wait and and let a few years pass and then they put something else out. But I I had been hearing about this movie for like years since he started it because mm -hmm. I've always been big Tarantino. But it's just it really fascinated me with like Golden Age Hollywood. You mm. know. Yeah. So when I saw this, this blew my mind because or I was I was just gonna say that I um I went into this being like oh so this is how he's gonna do it, and then he pulled an inglorious bastards on me and I'm like <laughs> you fool. Mm -hmm. But it was such a good time. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot to the movie you know it's it's one of those things that um and i don't think it's a bad thing it's almost like a grab bag of you know if if there's certain aspects of tarantino that you're not a huge fan of don't worry there'll there'll be other stuff if you like him for his dialogue you're gonna get great awesome dialogue scenes if you like him for his sort of like off the wall like really creepy stuff that's in there if you like gore like you have everything there's every it's all there I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say, Brad Pitt makes this movie. Oh yeah. 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 This is one of the best Brad Pitt roles I think I've ever seen. He is at like peak Brad Pitt here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's almost like his his character Al Al Do Rain from uh from Inglorious Bastards sort of. So I was like. The, after the war, went out to California, became a you know a stuntman, and um, yeah, he's got that same sort of very laid back, rural attitude, which is cool. Um, so yeah, so there's there's a lot to go through. Um, it's interesting, Noah, that you said that this had to do with um, sort of the the golden age of of Hollywood because in in a strange way, it's it's almost like it came at this, uh, you know, if we're looking at like late 60s, early 70s, that was very much a time when the studio system and the golden age of Hollywood was coming to an end. And mm -hmm. 
and new Hollywood or um, Hollywood 2.0. That's when that was really sort of getting yeah. started. Um, so it's interesting because you have you have these characters that um, aren't necessarily the the big crazy stars mm -hmm. uh, of the day, but they're they're sort of like background players, you know, or or sort of like medium famous, you know. The the fact that that Leo's character is trying to you know, trying to sort of uh, stay relevant and stay in the business, however, whichever way you can. That's pretty See, interesting. It blows my mind how they basically are like Forrest Gump. Like, it's like, oh, well, this happened in Hollywood. Well, they were there for all of that. Like, <laughs> come on. Well, Forrest Gump puts a lot of those scenes in it. This seems like, it seems a little more realistic he's just like another actor in hollywood who happened to live next door like yeah they like sharon tate would have had neighbors and maybe it was this guy right right yeah they, it, it, and in forrest gump i think forrest gump uh usually sort of like interfered with history in some way you know mm -hmm. like he he met kennedy and talked about having to pee well <laughs> just i'm just gonna i'm gonna cut in there if Brad Pitt had been Roman Polanski's neighbor. Maybe Roman Polanski wouldn't be a terrible person. That's true. Okay. So yeah, does everybody know about the sort of sorted, the sorted history of what actually happened with Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski? Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, it's not good. Um, but yeah, she was she she was pregnant and she got murdered by members of the Manson family. Roman Polanski was in France at the time working on a film, and then that happened. Uh, by the way, before that, Polanski was uh, a, holo a Holocaust survivor, and his, his whole family uh, was wiped out in the Holocaust and he was sort of uh, orphaned. And so he was dealing with a lot, and then that happened. And then a few years after that, he uh, made a terrible mistake. And oh, Perino's here. He made a terrible mistake, and um, and he's been exiled, or he can't come to the U.S. ever since. I guess this is—I don't know. Should I? Should I? Yo, do... what's up, Josh? Hey, Perino. What's good up? evening. Hello. Okay. How you doing? Noah. Oh, I'm good. I've been watching a ton of Killer Clowns clips. That's great. Did Did you finish this movie? No. For, I went. About 45-ish minutes in, uh, my sister came down. We went on Facebook. We were looking at funny shit. I'm going to finish the movie later tonight. And I want to take notes, too. I have my notepad. I wanted to <laughs> nice. you are watch this differently. And instead of talking to you about the notes that I took down from the movie, I have none. I'm going to take down notes about what you guys said. To have idea. them, and they'll be solid written down, and I'll I'll look at them as I watch the movie. I've got like a ton of notes. Sick. Fun. Wow. Yeah. Can, uh, I'm gonna come up and say, Steve McQueen is kind of a dick. Yeah. Yeah. Is he it was, Leonardo DiCaprio's character? No, that's no, that's Rick Dalton. Who plays um Steve McQueen? It's uh Amy and Lewis. Yeah. Because, like, when they meet Sharon Tate, it's like, yeah, he was engaged to her. Then she dumped him to be with him. He goes, well, he, she must have a type, 12-year-olds. But that was the best part ever. And then he goes, 
never stood a chance and just like lights a cigarette and just like <laughs> yeah badass well i i have my personal favorite part of the movie but i can hold off on that until more people get here okay. what i loved from what i saw was the cuts to the films within the film uh, the tv shows uh, the movies that was great shit that was so good and i love westerns and i, I love their uh they did like a serious uh spoofy take on well they did a serious take on goofy westerns they're goofy enough already it was fantastic to watch that was tremendous so, something i'll say about just tarantino in general is like he's like the more you watch it the more you pick up I was waiting for those people to get gunned down by a machine gun. There was like a Playboy Mansion party. I was just, Quentin Tarantino was just in my head. I thought someone was going to go down like that. <laughs> it was nice to see something different. It was pretty cool. It was, I will say this, uh, that I think, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is one of the most, no, it is by far the most wholesome Tarantino movie I've ever seen like it's it's downright sweet you know the the relationship between Brad Pitt and Leo is is I don't know like it's a, he, they're true friends and I kept waiting for Brad Pitt to betray him you, you know because because mm -hmm. it's there you know were you tipped off yeah. after their car ride when Leo was a little insecure his character was Rick Dalton was insecure he was mm -hmm. like oh my god like I'm never gonna go anywhere I fucked up by canceling the, the cowboy show. Uh, that was a cool relationship to watch. One of, one of my, one of, this is not my favorite line, but like when, when he's leaving um, Al Pacino's office and the valet shows up and then he goes, come on, Rick, don't cry in front of the Mexicans. Yeah, that was that was one of the quotes that I wrote down because I thought that was going to be one of your favorites. <laughs> That's one of my. I was literally in the theater. I was I was dead when that. I was like, of course, just throw it in there. Why not? No, there was no Jack. Want me to go ahead and tell you my my movie quote? Hold on, wait. Can I can I throw out a few more guesses? Yes. One. I'm as real as a donut, motherfucker. You got it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Let's go. That's what I'm talking about. That one killed me in the theater. I was just oh like, Oh my gosh. So good. Because it was me. It was me and two of my other friends. And he said that. And we just looked at each other like, What? <laughs> hey, Josh, was it because of Quentin Tarantino's history that it made you uneasy about Brad Pitt's relationship with uh, Leo? Like, is, oh, like there, there might be a betrayal. I don't. Yeah, I, I guess I just kept waiting for it to happen because it felt like I know that it, it wasn't a one-way relationship. It was a very symbiotic friendship, you know. Um, even though, because I guess I, I felt that whole thing with um, Leo not really being able to get him on set as the as the stunt double, um, that it was somehow going to stick in Brad Pitt's craw and it was going to come up later. And maybe that's me. Maybe that's just like my cynical brain and, and how I'll, I'll get my, that person will get their comeuppance. But um, I, it's kind of, their dynamic is great because Leo's character is, is totally insecure, neurotic, um, you know, extravagant, over the top, 
right? And just like really, really crank to 11. And then Brad Pitt is the exact opposite of that. He could not be more cool with everything right. in, ev in every great situation. The indicator of that was when Brad was talking to Leo in the car while he was being insecure and he told him, man, I just love showing at your place while you're making these movies, doing whatever. Uh, and it showed that he, he was pretty cool and he was, he was something with things. It was just an indicator of a, a cool relationship. Like there, yeah, whatever. I think, no, I think that's, that's at the, at the heart of what I enjoyed so much about it was like their relationship was so pure and sweet, you know, it was just, it was like, it's like what he wanted out of life didn't include scheming against Leo. Nope. He just wanted like he to, was just, he was just having a good time. He was, he was perfectly content to yeah. live, you know, out in that, where was he? Was it a drive-in theater or a dump? Yeah. Yeah. And he had like a trailer out there with his dog. Oh, so that was another great relationship. Best, like part of that movie. Ah, <laughs> character right there, Brandy. Uh, the dog. That's like the most realistic relationship ever. He's like, like don't whine, and then the dog's like, mm. yeah. But Leo's have no like self awareness in their relationship. Like at the end, when Sharon Tate asks if everyone's fine, he's like, yeah, everyone's fine. Doesn't even mention his best friend got stabbed and went to the hospital. It's fine. It's a stab wound. Nothing, nothing bad will happen. Right. What was the stabbing scene like? I didn't see it. Was it crazy? <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, was impossible to describe. You're just going to have to see it. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to watch the movie right after this. I'm really looking forward to it. Okay. You, you, know, you know what my favorite, okay, I, my favorite scene is when they meet Bruce Lee. Oh. oh shit that's just where i stopped the movie that was so cool to see and he was a he was doing a great bruce lee like yeah. i felt like i was just watching bruce it was fantastic but like i mean the line where he's like my hands are registered as lethal weapons <laughs> i kill someone i go to jail <laughs> the bad pit's just like if i kill someone with my bare hands i go to jail it's called manslaughter <laughs> 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 and yeah. I love I love how Brad Pitt is just Robert Wagner. It's beautiful. <laughs> oh wait, wait. Oh, it was beautiful. His yellow shirt. That was because he. Wait, is he Robert Wagner because he murdered his wife on a boat? Yeah. <laughs> no. Allegedly. What the fuck are you guys talking? No. About? Oh, no, that, no, no, no. What's her name from West Side Story? Who Natalie Wood. Natalie Wood. Yeah. This, this is the third time I've seen this movie, and oh, cool. I caught something I never caught before. Brad Pitt's wife's name is Natalie. And I was like, really, Quentin? Why you do that? He's not always very subtle. No. No. But it's... But they left it open. You don't know whether what happens, you know? But he had that harpoon right there. The harpoon gun. After that scene that we saw, he could have just like put down the harpoon gun, got up, gone to the front of the boat, had some drinks with Christopher Walken, and <laughs> everything's fine. It's totally above board, and it's not their fault for sure. Anyway, the tra tragic loss. <laughs>
I agree that uh, as far as like favorite scenes go, there's a few that really, really stick out. But the one that I love so much was the Bruce Lee scene mm-hmm. because um, it's this it's this amazing sort of ramp up. You get this this idea of like, you know, Brad Pitt asking, "You think you can get me on set? You think I could be a stuntman for this uh, for this picture?" He's like, "No, I don't think so. This guy's wife doesn't like you, and and people are kind of scared of you after what happened with your wife." And then it turns out he does get on set, and the whole Bruce Lee thing happens. But then it turns out that that's just—he's just imagining all of that, right? Isn't he's, that what like happened before? Like that's a previous experience with Randy, which is why he can't get a gig with Randy. Yeah. Yeah. My mm, maybe, but that's my, that's what, that's what there was like a lot of confusion when that when it came out in the theaters. People thought that. It would, they, they were very confused the way it was placed, but like, mm-hmm. I believe that it is, he's like fixing the antenna and then he's like, he gets like that replay in his mind. He's like, hey, it's the same gaffer who did uh, Green Hornet. And so then it's like a flashback back to then with uh, Bruce Lee. And so then obviously there's some conflict there, but yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't register it as a flashback, but it totally could be. Um, what I genuinely thought was happening, and maybe this is because I do this all the time, I'll, I'll run sort of like scenarios in my head constantly, little, uh, little um, uh, whatever. Play-by-play. Play-by-play, play. no, not play-by-plays, but like, uh, um, I can't think of the word. Hypothetical scenarios. Thank you, thank you, Addie, very, very <laughs> astute. So, um, so what I thought was happening is he was fixing the antenna and he just ran through his head because he was sort of mindlessly doing this thing, he ran through this head. What would happen if I got onto the set today and met Bruce Lee and did all this stuff? And this is what happened in his head. And I guess I figured that because it was so extreme. Like, you know, he smashed into the car and dented it like crazy. Uh-huh. And it just seemed a little bit like a little stretch in reality that I thought that he just imagined all that. And then it came back to him and he was like, yeah, that makes sense. It may, it may make sense why I'm, I, I wasn't allowed on set. Um, but that's, yeah, that's... Yeah, there was like there was also a lot of controversy with that scene, uh, especially from the Lee family, because they were like they were really against how like Bruce Lee was kind of shown as like kind of like a bit of a jerk. Yeah, arrogant and yeah. On set, but then like they were saying like how it, it's insulting that he was uh, that Cliff Booth was able to beat him up, but like that's like basically saying like Batman could beat him up because Cliff Booth isn't a real person. Like there's nothing to get like offended about. They just needed like, it was a perfect way to show like off his strength and how much of like, just like a brute he is. And his amazing wife killing skills. Oh yeah, of course. Of course. Those two. Yeah. The flashback, Jack, flashback. is that the shirt from the movie? Oh yeah. Gotta, That's gotta, cool. Gotta, That's really cool. Yeah. Now this, this movie it's not my favorite Tarantino, but it means the most to me because I actually worked at a movie theater this past summer for the sole purpose of seeing this movie as many times as I could. <laughs> so literally, I, like during my lunch breaks, I would just hop into the theater and just watch it and like just casually watch a bunch of hippies get attacked by a dog or just everything. And it was, it's, it was, I love, I love seeing this movie. I love how they treated Charlie, fun calling Charlie, me and Matt's in our own first name levels, apparently. Yikes. Um, <laughs> but 
But anyway, I love how he's not really there. He's just kind of this figure, like hanging overhead. Right. I don't, does he have a line? Or he? I think he says one or yeah. two things, and that's it. Yeah, he comes up in like the the Twinkie car up into like mm-hmm. the Polanski residence, and he's like, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, and they're like, he doesn't live here anymore. Oh. And he's like, oh shit. Um, yeah, that was interesting. What did you think of the the scene where? Well, first of all, I thought it was pretty hilarious how they treated hippies because anything that's set in the '60s in in California, it seems like it's this amazing hippie haven, and everybody <laughs> loves hippies, and they sort of get their way. But all the characters in the movies really hated hippies a <laughs> lot. I don't know. Brad Brad Pitt did stop to pick one up. I, did, I don't. Yeah. Brad Pitt was curious about that person. Yeah. You know? Like I I don't know. I think he just thinks about people differently. Like right. he just wanted to go and mess with everybody, just <laughs> everyone off. He just I can't think, help you know, with metal. I think initially he was like intrigued with her, but then the second she was like Spawn Ranch, he's like, all right, like what's happening here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I like. I like the fact that, like, r- their their lives are supposed to be, like, in such a, like, bad place that it's like, man, he doesn't want to fire me. He wants me to do freaking Italian movies. <laughs> <laughs> like, the nerve of Al Pacino. What, what was the state of Italian movies at that time? Like, how did people receive spaghetti westerns in 1969? That's a great question. I want to say, I want to say that they were really, really successful. They were certainly very successful in Italy. They were probably like B-movies, weren't they? Yeah, they were more like, yeah, like a B-movie or maybe like a drive-in movie, Mm -hmm. which like that sort of, it's kind of, yeah, it's it's strange that there was a time when... they got the Phantom Menace treatment, Josh, (laughs) spaghetti westerns back then. Did they get the Phantom Menace reception of just, ugh? No, I think they were worse off than Phantom Menace. I mean, Phantom Menace, here's the thing, like, since the 80s, I guess, there really aren't, there aren't that many movies that go to the theater that are really, really low budget and terrible. Like, most, that's reserved for straight to video, you know, since the mm-hmm. days of VHS and, and since. So there is plenty of still, like, straight to video stuff. And uh, if I can plug something really fast, because um, it's totally free, go watch it, it's fun. Um, on Voodoo, it's free. Uh, it's called Velocipaster. Um, if you have not seen this movie, there's a, a Catholic priest that is on mission trip in China and gets sort of imbued with the power of. It's kind of like it's kind of like a werewolf story, but instead of being a werewolf, he's a dinosaur. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he like he befriends this prostitute, and they sort of like go after all these bad guys. It's Amazing, but it's uh, sort of that um, on-purpose pastiche, you know. It's uh, it's like it's like Sharknado, but better than Sharknado, I think. Um, anyway, so the last. I was a fan of the versus movies on the Sci-Fi Channel: the uh, Killer Croc versus Giant Octopus, right? G- octopus Shark Hybrid versus Giant Crocodile. Fantastic. <laughs> Spider. There was a there was a, a yeah. couple of years where everything was spiders. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. The What's the movie where there's a spider infestation uh, in a town like giant tar- tarantulas? Uh, arachnophobia. Ma- the one with John Goodman. 
I'm not sure. That's that old. It's a really old one. I say really old. It's from the eighties. Anyway, uh, I feel like I lost track. Oh, um, but so there was this hatred of hippies. What did you guys think of the scene when they actually went to uh, when Brad Pitt went to Spawn Ranch? Spawn that Ranch. Was, yeah. I'm not sure what we were supposed to get from the scene where he goes and sees the old dude. Yeah, the old the old Bruce Dern who's there, hold up with uh, who is that? Um, that was Pussy. Pussy. Yeah. That's the only one I remember. There's also, uh, I remember Sundance. Sundance is one of them. Sundance. Uh, Dakota Fanning was Dakota one of Fanning, them. thank you. That's the yeah. name I was trying to speak. But yeah, Squeaky was real. That's all I know about her. Also, I love how Tex Watson is the star of this. Like, Charles Manson gets pushed to the side and it's all Tex. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I think it they had that to keep like the focus on these fictional characters like you can't throw to in too many real people yeah i think i think that worked best towards it because i mean if you had like yeah charlie manson in, in it like too much then like the whole film kind of lose focus but again like as noah was saying he's kind of like this like character brooding off in the background like this whole time like scheming and getting everything prepared yeah, yeah. Yeah, meanwhile, you have this whole, you know, all your, your cult members or, or whatever um, at this at this place. And it seems pretty, it seems pretty like matriarchal, you know, like there's, there's a lot of um, orders coming from, uh, you know, Dakota Fanning and. Well, Texas, Texas is like their errand boy, really. Mm -hmm. He doesn't call any of the shots. Mm -hmm. And then there's the guy that slashes a Brad Pitt's tire. Yeah, that was that was wonderful. That, what? Uh, his what? Got a raw he deal. really gets off the ground from the punch. It was <laughs> phenomenal. Beautiful. Oh, wow, I can't wait to finish it. Well, I think great. like with that, I don't think Charles Manson would have wanted like other strong, intelligent men around. Right. That would like detract from his power. Well, he wasn't strong or intelligent. Also, my my favorite part from that scene is when, or one of my favorite parts is when uh, Cliff Booth comes up and he's like, "It's me, it's it's Cliff Booth," and he's like, "John Wilkes, who?" Yeah. Mm -hmm. just, like, he's very just confused. I was like, "So good." Also, mm -hmm. that was apparently that was supposed to be uh, Burt Reynolds, but unfortunately, he passed away. Before they get the scene. Oh, that was supposed to be him uh, playing the Bruce Dern role. Yeah. Oh, man. That would have been great. Not that Bruce Dern isn't great. He's wonderful. Oh, yeah, of course. Now, Josh, I'm going to see the woman that works at the um, theater when uh, uh, Margot Robbie goes there. Yes. Did you recognize her? I did, but now I've forgotten who she is. She was, in, she was in Sorry to Bother You. She was the head woman, Mrs. Debauchery. Or Debauchery, however she said it. I'm, looking, I'm trying to look up pictures to just see who this... Oh, Debauchery, yes! She was the, yeah. um, the super energetic um, like efficiency expert or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That was a great, oh, I'm glad you brought that up. So uh, apparently there was, I don't know if this was controversy with the, with the film exactly, but there, I remember seeing a video 
of um, uh, there's some Q&A about the movie and it was Tarantino, uh, Brad Pitt, Leo and Margot Robbie. And uh, a reporter asked something about like, how come uh, Sharon Tate doesn't have um, as much dialogue in the, um, oh no, it's saying that the meeting's gonna end in 10 minutes, that's stupid. Anyway, um, then she doesn't have a, enough dialogue and uh, Tarantino says, I reject your hypothesis. And he, he you know, rebuffed it. But some people are saying that um, Margot Robbie wasn't given, Robbie, wasn't given enough um, dialogue or screen time or whatever. Um, what'd you guys think? She was, was given a lot of time. Like she wasn't really a main figure in the plot and it still shows her going out and buying a book and watching her own movie. Like she's just another person I mean, living her life. I mean, this is not her story. Like she's just set dressing for the story of Rick Dalton and them, in my opinion. I also think, unfortunately, she is most well known like for being a victim of the Manson murder. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is literally like as as like kind of like laid back or like kind of in the background as she is, I feel like this is this would be the most accurate. Cause I mean, as again she like goes to the theater and it's like, no, that's that's the girl from Valley of the Dolls. Oh, yeah, that, that is me. And then so like so she's like kind of of like a big movie star, but not like a very like well-known movie star. So I think she yeah. was like a perfect amount of dialogue. There's also an article that I, there was like this headline for that was very bizarre. And it was like, Tarantino takes the uh, Manson murders and makes it about like straight white men. And I'm like, That's not that was not his goal. Come on. That's- I, Can I, I have a question for yeah. you? I'm just gonna say, this this movie did lead to one of my favorite Oscar moments ever when Brad Pitt was like, it was an honor to star alongside Margot Robbie's feet and Dakota Fanning's feet and the rest of them. He just goes through the entire female cast. I'm like, Brad Pitt, ballsy man. Then he oh, goes, it, uh, yeah. uh, you know, get, takes people's shoe, shoes off more than the TSA. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, when Pussycat is in the car and just... just right up against the windshield that oh that just that really got to me like i wanted to wipe off the windshield but no you don't that's, you don't do that feet do not go there like this is literally like this is tarantino's love story to hollywood but it's also basically like his love story to himself because he kind of like the feet the feet is almost like too dominant in it that he's kind of like laughing at himself about it he's like he's aware <laughs> that there's like this Thing, like out in the world that he's like oh people like know me for like my feet shot he's like all right let's like dial it up to 11 let's take yeah. a shot off in the movie theater let's take <laughs> the car Just maybe he's not laughing about it maybe he's taking it very very seriously like uh you know the ad comes out and he's just like all right guys they were going to be uh gonna be doing the foot shot um Again? one, one of one no one of many but this is really very important so it's gonna be a pretty somber uh set um yeah, that was that was fantastic. Well, it's interesting because I, I had such a problem with with uh, complaining about uh, Sharon Tate's screen time and presence and stuff like that because I felt I felt like even though yes, the the main story and the the two that we were focusing on was Leo and Brad, but you had I don't think she was just set dressing. I think she almost embodied this 
feeling of like the end of the sixties or something like that. She was she was like what California and the sixties meant, and, and it was coming to an end. It's the death of like the Hollywood where like in Cats Don't Dance, where it's like you show up, you try out, you become big. Anyone can do that. Right. Right. Josh, was the actress uh, who was driving around in the car with the British dude the girl who was actually killed by a Charles Manson cultist? Yes, that was. Oh, I had tape. no fucking idea. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, to bring up a random thing, what do you guys think about the narration? Like, I feel like it comes out of nowhere in the beginning and in the middle. But it's also, it's also weird because, um, why can't I think of his name? Uh, Kurt Russell is also a character in the movie. <laughs> yeah. oh. Like, how is he narrating, but is also like the stunt coordinator for the Green Hornet? <laughs> it gets, it's a, it's a deleted scene. It gets explained. He's like uh, Rick Dalton's guardian angel. <laughs> he oh. looks over him his whole life. Oh, God. <laughs> There's layers to it, damn you, Tarantino. <laughs> I, I just have to say, Luke Perry, this is Luke Perry's final role. He was, yeah, that was pretty cool to see Luke Perry. And it was, it was a great cameo. And holy moly, what a great scene that is. You know what? I'm changing my favorite scene because I think my favorite scene is when it's like after Leo floods up his lines and stuff, and then he has the scene with Luke Perry. And he doesn't just nail it, but he like he impresses everybody on set, and mm-hmm. and he's like so proud of himself and the little girl because they've formed a relationship, and she like she's like that's the best acting I've ever seen in my life. Like when I, I like- when I first saw that, I'm pretty sure I welled up like, oh god, he did it. <laughs> I like I like how the little girl one ups him. He's like read. She's like reading the Count of Monte Cristo or whatever. He's like, I'm reading this little dime novel, girl. <laughs> What's it about? He's like, I don't even know. And then he starts like vaguely recalling the plot. He's like, Holy crap! This is this is my life. <laughs> also, I just gotta say the whole pump the pumpkin puss thing that killed me. What went on there? Yeah, what? Remind me of Pumpkin Puss. No, no, when he's sitting there and he goes, and he's talking to the little girl and he's like, he's like, thank you, Pumpkin Puss. And she goes, can you not call me that, please? (laughs) What kind of accent is is, is he supposed to have? Like, is that some kind of Southern? I've never heard of Pumpkin Puss in my life, but... (laughs) You know, that killed me too. It's probably from Duplin County, if we're going to be honest. Yeah, it's just it's from Keyensville. The best part with his accent is when uh, he for- he forgets his line for one part, and then they like bring it back. He's like, "Yeah," and so then he like kind of like tries to ramp it up in order to like get like lost time back. He's like, "Go on, get," and it's like mm, that's a bit much. Turn it down. <laughs> Oh, uh, I like in that scene how they're trying to like modernize the cowboy wardrobe and like the good guy cowboy has this this leopard print around his hat. <laughs> really, really taking it to the late 60s. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much of that is influenced by spaghetti westerns because, you know, the, the 1950s westerns and the Roy Rogers and all that, it was very, as, as, you know, explained in Back to the Future 3, 
it was very like bright and and you know frilly and and had all this you know all this sequence but um yeah may maybe you know like the sergio leone good good the bad the ugly those kind of spaghetti westerns like they had an impact oh just so everybody knows we have uh two minutes left because um zoom will stop at 40 minutes Damn. which sucks so so last comments go oh, okay uh i'm excited to see the feet and to, uh, <laughs> see that girl get murdered and more okay. bruce lee is there any more bruce lee in the film no nah, that's the only scene he's in all right that's cool i'll replay it i okay. really stopped at the beginning Mm -hmm. I've got I've got a few things I just want to shout out. The, cool. That guy made four Italian movies in six months. Damn. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. I've never heard of Smoking Acid, but from what I know about Acid, that's really gonna just freaking throw you. I can't believe he was able to fight off three demonic hippies. That's so, Cliff Booth. Uh, how quick those hippie turned those hippies turned from oh my gosh I love Bounty Law to yeah let's kill that pig, <laughs> like. About five seconds it took them to agree to kill him. And uh, just like psyching out home intruders, like he did just like freaking them out, is kind of a personal fantasy of mine. Like that would be my ideal way to chase off home intruders, just act completely insane. Yeah! Something like that, worth a, a shotgun? A little more subtle. Uh, can, <laughs> can I just say I love all the fake names for the spaghetti westerns? Like, the only good Indian's a dead one, or Let's red go. Skin, red blood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're all beautiful. Also, also uh, one of the films was directed by Dominic DeCoco, and for mm -hmm. all the Tarantino fans, that was the one of the fake names of the people in *Inglorious Bastards* when they mm -hmm. sneak into the premiere. Oh. That yeah, the, that's uh, the bear Jew, right? Yeah. Is he like Roth? It was at this point that the uh, Zoom meeting um, abruptly ended. So uh, we're going to have to leave it there. And we will be back with a new episode very soon. Thanks for listening.